do Christians ever have a problem getting along with other believers? What do you think? Do Christians ever have a problem getting along with other believers? Now, if, the, if you think the answer is no, then we might as well just close our Bibles and go on home and eat lunch. How about that? Well, you and I know better, don't we? Because the answer is yes. Now, all of us are going to find ourselves in this position over and over and over again throughout our Christian life. So when it happens to you, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Expect it. Why? Because we're dealing with sinners. We're all sinners. And what do sinners do? Sinners sin. So how do we handle it? There's going to be times when your brother or sister in Christ, they're going to hurt you. So this is a very realistic picture of what we're dealing with today. So how do we handle it when it happens? Well, the first way we can handle it is we can get mad and never talk to that guy again. If he sits on this side of the church, I'm going to sit over there. If he, if he gets there early, well, I'm going to wait and come in the door at the last minute so I don't have to run into that guy. You could pick up the phone and talk to other people about what he's done to you. That's one way that we can handle a situation like that. Jesus tells us how to handle it. Jesus wants us to be able to heal the differences that we have. He expects that from us. Now, of all the differences that we have with people, I'm going to pick a number. 99% of the time, we should be able to cover it with love. Meaning, well, I know her. I know she didn't mean that. Maybe I just took it the wrong way. 99% of the time, we should be able to cover it with love. What we're talking about today is that 1% of the time when we can't cover it with love. So let's look at Matthew chapter 18. We're going to pick up with verse 15. It reads, if your brother sins. Now many translations have, if your brother sins against you. That's what Frank read just a few moments ago. If your brother sins against you. So not if a brother sins ever sins against you, Uh uh-uh, that's not what we're reading here, but rather when your brother or sister sins against you. So I gave you one way that you could handle it. You can just pout and get mad about it and never talk to him again. Here's another way you can handle it. When you've got that 1% of the time when you just can't let it go, It's keeping you awake at night. You're losing sleep over it. You've been hurt. You can't cover it with love. You can't say, I know him. I know her. I know he didn't mean to hurt me. But it's keeping me awake at night. It's interfering with my relationship that I have with him or her. I just can't let it go. That 1% of the time, how do we handle it? Matthew chapter 18. Now, the purpose... In going, notice if your brother or sister sins against you, go and show him his fault in private 
If he listens to you, you've won your brother. So the purpose in going isn't to condemn. It isn't to criticize. Why do we go? We go because we have direct knowledge of the event. We know exactly what happened. So notice, we, you, the one who is hurt, you are responsible to seek reconciliation with a fellow believer. You have the responsibility, not the other person. It's on you. And there's two words in this verse that I want you to see. If your brother sins against you, go and show. Go and show. Go and show. Go. Show him, show her their fault in private. So this is something that you do. The church doesn't do it. The elders don't do it. The deacons don't do it because you have direct knowledge about what's going on. So go and tell him what he did to you. You can say, you hurt me. Now, Jay Adams has a saying that I have used. If we counted the times, Jenny, if you kept track of how many times I've used this, lost count. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if I've used this a hundred times. And you, some of you know what I'm going to say. Here's what Jay Adams said. The one with the sore toes goes because he's the one that knows. Now, I want you to say that out loud with me so that you can remember that as the days and months and years go by because you're going to use it, folks. I'm telling you. So say it out loud with me. Here we go. The one with the sore toes goes because he's the one that knows. Now, that was a good, good try. But there's no enthusiasm there. I want you to try it again. A little more enthusiasm, a little bit more volume, okay? Here we go. One more time. The one with the sore toes goes because he's the one that knows. That's right. Remember that. Because the biblical obligation is on the one who has been hurt. You have the obligation to approach your brother or sister. Why? Because you're the one that's been hurt, not the other way around. So what do you do? You want to go to that brother or sister and you want to say, Brother, you see those toes right there, mine? You see all those toes? They're as flat as pancakes. And you know why they're as flat as pancakes? They're as flat as pancakes because you have been stepping all over them. You go because you're the one that knows. Now, he may not know that he has hurt you. Now, there are also some people are just more direct than others. You know that. I know that. We've been around those people. Some people are just more blunt. They're more direct. Notice also that the go is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. So it's a command... And if you don't go, if you don't do it, now it becomes sin on your part. Now, you've heard me say before in, in marriage counseling, many times there's, the, uh, maybe let's just pick something, a husband's had an affair, and so you've got a guilty party, and you've got the innocent party. You've got the guilty party of the husband. You've got the innocent party of the wife in that situation. And I'm, you know, I can't go into every detail. And many, many times the wife has done things that she shouldn't have done. I get all that. But in this illustration, he's the one that had the affair. She didn't. So he's the guilty party. She's the innocent party. 
But when you get them together and you start counseling with them, many times the innocent party handles it in such a way where she's going, you did this, you did that, you rascal, you, on or on. And it gets to the point where now she has sinned, and now we have two guilty parties, two sinful parties. Well, that's what can take place here. If someone has hurt you and it's keeping you awake and it's interfering with your relationship with him or her, and you do not go, now it has become sin on your part as well. So go and show. Show him his fault, and you do it in private. Just the two of you. Now, folks, that takes courage. It takes a strong believer to do that. A, a weak believer is not going to do that. They're going to turn around and pout. Confronting someone like this is very, very difficult. It, this is not easy to do. If I can use some slang, it takes guts. It takes a backbone. Or maybe what I should say, it takes the grace of the Holy Spirit. That's probably what I should say. And maybe that, because it's so hard, maybe that's why most Christians do not do this. Why do you think we have so many churches in town? Well, one reason is because you'd have a, a church, there's some issue would come up, people would get mad, the church would split, and they'd go across the street, buy a piece of ground, put up another church. When what they should have done is dealt with the problem in a biblical way. So you go alone. It's just the two of you meeting together. Now, every church member has a responsibility to go privately to a sinning believer and show him or her their sin. Now, you need to be able to prove your point. You need to be able to prove your point. So you would go and you'd say something like this. Did I misunderstand you? It seems to me that you said this. Am I right? Am I wrong? But also, you need to go in a very humble way. A very humble way. It takes a humble person to do this right, using the fruit of the Spirit. But also, it takes a strong person to do it right. Now, normally, we don't associate those two together. We don't put being strong and being humble together. But that's what Jesus was. He was strong and he was humble. So we go and show. Now, this is the practice that God himself uses with his people. I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 3. We all know that chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Adam and Eve have sinned. God is going to speak to them. Notice the words. They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? 
And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now notice, God approaches Adam and Eve. Now God asks a lot of questions. Now there's two reasons why you would ask questions. You would ask a question to get answers. You think God needed answers? Don't think so. God didn't need answers. The other reason we ask questions is sometimes we want to make a point when we already know the answers. That's what God was doing there. So now here, you go, you're the one that goes, and you go in private. Now, why do you go in private? Because you want to keep it private. Here's a principle that you want to work by. The goal is to contain sin. You want to contain sin. The principle, you don't want to spread sin. You want to contain it. So you only invite people in who are a part of the problem or part of the solution. That's the only people you would ever talk to in something like this. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. We're going to be dealing with this next week as well. You only invite people in who are part of the problem or part of the solution. So your goal is you want to keep it private because you have a responsibility to protect the reputation and the testimony of the person that has sinned against you. So you want to talk to him alone. Maybe he didn't realize that he did that to you. So you approach him privately. You approach him in a humble way. And maybe he'll see his fault. He'll repent. And then the relationship is restored. And you never talk about it again. So your goal is to restore the relationship. Now you want the brother or sister to repent. And then it's over. If they repent, it's over. Now, at that point, you have a responsibility. You're the one that's been hurt. You have a responsibility to, and we'll deal with this in the weeks to come in more detail, but you have a responsibility to never bring it up again to the person that hurt you, to anyone else, or to yourself. Now, love the three, which one do you think is the most difficult? I saw some lists moving. Yourself. To never bring it up to yourself is the most difficult one of the three. Why? Because you're the one that's been hurt. And there's gonna be, there could be times in your life when you just start thinking about it. And it, it comes up, and, and what do you do? You, there's a battle going on between your mind and your heart. And your heart is, I mean, say, is the emotional side, and it wants to think about that hurt and what that person done to you. And you need to let your mind discipline and control your heart. So what do you do in a time like that when it starts rising up again inside of you? Philippians chapter 4, you voted as one of the ten greatest chapters in the Bible. Remember that? That was your vote. So what do we do when it starts coming up again? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, believers, think on these things. You discipline your mind to think something else. What do you think? You think on these things. Okay, what is it? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, Think on these things. New American Standard, 
dwell on these things. That's how we handle it when it starts coming up inside of us again. You don't tell someone else about it. You go to that person. You take responsibility in going to the person in private. So it's a very low-key approach. Now, if someone doesn't repent, we can turn up the heat, and we'll deal with that next week. But right now, you're handling it in a very low-key approach. So the exception to this is public sin. Now, let's think about Peter when he denied Jesus. Terrible sin. He denied Jesus three times. Now, later after Jesus rose from the dead, he's with Peter. He's with the other disciples. Jesus starts confronting Peter. And he said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. And the Bible says that Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him three times. When Peter said, Lord, you know, you know, I love you. What was Jesus doing? He didn't practice Matthew 18. Why? Because it was not a private situation. It's a public situation. Peter sinned in public. So Jesus had to deal with it in a public setting. If Jesus had met with Peter privately and said, okay, we fixed this. Let's get back to work. Now, all of a sudden, Peter's there with the other disciples. The other men are looking around going, what's he doing here? But they have seen Jesus deal with Peter, so now they know Peter's back. So the exception is a public sin. So we go, because it's command, but involves a patient series of confrontation. Now, I was trying to find another word other than confrontation or confront. I was trying to find a a more gentle word that would say the same thing. If you could help me find that word, let me know. I'd like to know what it is, but that'll do fine for what we're talking about. You go with a gentle series of confrontations, so you you want to make it as easy as possible for the other person. You want to make it as easy as possible for the other person who has sinned to make the needed change. And that's why God wants to keep it private. So in other words, no emails, no emails, no letters. Why? Because emails, it's hard. sometimes you can misunderstand the person's tone. If, if you're there with me and we're talking and you're, you're confronting me about something that I've done, you, you, you can see that on my face or my expressions that I'm struggling with it or I'm, I'm trying to make it right or maybe I, I don't know what to say. Or I can tell from what you're saying that you're, you're loving me and you've got a good heart and you're, you've got the right attitude. Sometimes with an email, it's hard to see that. So we go, we go to the person privately. Okay. Now the Bible says, I got to get back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. All right. So if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Now, that's your goal. Your goal is to win your brother, win your sister. Now, the word win here has to do win or gain your brother. Now, this is a business term. That's used, it's associated with profit or loss. Acts 27 uses it that way. That's what you're dealing with. So if you don't go, 
the longer you wait, the more of this is going to stew and cook in you. A believer who has unconfessed sin in their life is going to be somewhat lost to the local church and to the cause of Christ. Now, you've heard me say before, statistics show that in a church, a typical church, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I would guess that many of the people who are not serving the Lord may have some unconfessed sin that is eating them up. So you want to make it easy for the person to repent and come back. You want to win or gain him. Your goal is to turn a straying believer back to the Lord. Because if there's sin there and they don't confess and they deal with it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take root, it's going to grow, it's going to get worse. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul, verse nine, chapter 9, verse 19. 919. I'm going to read it slow because it can be, sometimes it could be a little confusing. Paul writes, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to win people and win them, bring them back to the Lord. It's, it's a word used for winning the lost. However, in our context, we also believe that there is a time when you need to win back a believer. You need to win back a believer. We need to win back those who are saved. Now, Paul does another great job in, in explaining this. I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 6. This is a great verse. I would encourage you to either memorize it or mark it, underline it in some way in your Bible. Galatians chapter 6. Listen to what Paul says. Brethren, so he's talking to believers, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, sin, you who are spiritual, such one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one look into yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Meaning, whatever that brother or sister has done to you, we need to realize that could be us. I could do the same thing. The person who hurt me, it could be me. I could be doing that next week. How would I want to be treated if someone comes to me and confronts me? But notice the, the conditions in this verse. You who are spiritual, are you growing in the Lord? I ask you that on a regular basis. I try to challenge you in a gentle way. Are you growing spiritually? Are you more Christ-like today than you were last month, last week? You who are spiritual, so not just anyone can do this. You who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. There's that word again, gentleness. Isn't that great? Aren't you so glad he put that? I'm glad Paul put that word in there. Because next time you come to me, I can say to you, were you gentle with me? Because, you know, that, I'm just so thankful it's there. So we got to do this in a spirit of gentleness. So 
Don't talk to other people about it. How would you want someone to handle you if you were the one that fell in sin? Now, the word he uses there is restore. Now, that's a medical word. And one of the commentators said, it's like the idea of setting a broken bone. And then he said, think about how tender a doctor must be in setting a bone. Well, I'm not quite sure that I agree with that illustration. I'm not a doctor, but I saw a bone set one time, and it wasn't very pretty. I remember when Kevin fell out of the car. Not, they didn't, not when he fell out of the car. When he broke his leg, broke his femur, we were in the hospital, and the doctor said, no, we're going to have to set his leg. How old was he, eight years old? Six? Six years old. And the doctor said it's going to hurt. He said, I'm going to have to pull on this leg to put it in position. And that was a long time ago, but I remember that doctor pulled on that leg, and I remember the scream that came with it. And the doctor said, after I pull and set this, it'll feel better. So I don't know that that illustration, I think that commentator had never been around a broken bone. But he set that bone and he screamed. And there may be times when we're dealing with sin in the life of a believer, there may be a moment where we have to set the bone. Well, there may be some pain and there may be some screaming, but right after that, then you can focus on being gentle. Even, even when you do it, you can try to be gentle, but there may be some struggles involved. I'm going to go now to uh, the book of James, chapter 5. James 5. Listen to these words, verse 19. My brother and believer, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, the spiritually strong turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So we go hoping to gain. Now, we'll deal with it next week. It's not always up to you. Your job is as much as it depends on you, go and do what's right. But there's a way to handle that. So we go hoping to gain. One thing Jesus is trying to do is stop gossip. Stop gossip. Because you only involve people who are part of the problem or part of the solution. Now, that's hard to do. Because if someone hurts you, one of the first things you want to do is talk to someone about it. It's it's normal. It's what I want to do, too. Jesus is saying, don't do that. It's destructive. The first thing we want to do is pick up the phone and say... I am just, I'm just so hurt right now. You know what so-and-so did to me? I can't believe he did that to you. And then that person hangs up the phone, and what next? He picks up phone calls somebody else. Did you hear what brother so-and-so did brother so-and-so? I can't believe it. No. The way to save a relationship is to go to the person who hurt you. Now, sometimes that's all that's required. He may say, you're right, I didn't see it, I see it now, please forgive me. And when that happens, you must forgive him. Sometimes that's hard, because you don't want to. But you must forgive him. And when you do that, 
the matter's closed. That's when you don't bring it up again to him, someone else, or yourself. That means you've gained your brother. You, you've fixed the problem. You've restored the relationship. But notice when Christians confront. I left out a word. It's right up front. The word if. If your brother sins against you, only if. Now, that if is very, very important. You're not looking into every closet, trying to find something that you can bring up against someone. We're only dealing with sin. We're not dealing with a bad personality. We know people that have bad personalities. We all do. We know people like that. The if is a general condition statement. Not if a brother ever sins against you, but rather when your brother or sister sins against you. So there are principles to follow when he or she does sin against you. So this isn't about hurting someone's feelings. This is about sin. Now, can sin involve hurting someone's feelings? Yes, it can. But there's a line there. So notice when Christian confrontation is to occur. Only if. So the if is a very important word there. Notice also that Jesus assumes that Christians will sin against one another. It's going to happen. So when it happens, don't be surprised. I'm shocked. How could this possibly happen? Don't be surprised. Deal with it. Deal with it. Now, even Peter, we're studying Peter. Peter, a great man. Even Peter was involved in this. Paul had to confront Peter about an issue. I'm going back to Galatians. This time I'm going to Galatians chapter 2. Now, at this point, by the time we get to Galatians chapter 2, Peter is quite a bit stronger spiritually than the man that we're dealing with right now in the Gospels. He's grown a lot. He's doing a lot of things right. He's on the right track. He's working with the Jews. He's working with the Gentiles. He's with the Gentiles, and he's doing fine with the Gentiles, and he's not requiring the, the Jewish law to be enforced with the Gentiles. He's doing great. But then at some point, the, a gathering of Jews comes to, to see him. They're all together with the Gentiles, and Peter starts falling back into his old ways and starts going back to the Jewish ways and kind of ignoring the Gentiles. And then Paul confronted Peter publicly. He did not follow Matthew 18. We'll talk about that in a minute. Listen to what happened in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes, But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself away, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him, notice the word, in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you being a Jew 
live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul sees this problem, and he sees that Peter is part of it. He didn't follow Matthew 18 and go to him privately. Why? Because it's a public event. It happened in front of everyone. So Paul has to deal with it in front of everyone. So how did Peter take that? How did Peter respond to that? Well, we don't know because we don't have an answer. So did Peter get mad and say, I, I never want to work with Paul again. Let him go that way. I'll go this way. I'm done with Paul. I don't think so because we have a hint. And that hint is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Some years have gone by. Notice what Peter says about Paul, the man who corrected him. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, here we go, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. How does Peter describe the man who corrected him in public in front of other people? He calls him our beloved brother Paul. So, folks, your goal is to win your brother, not the argument. The goal is to win your brother, not the argument. You don't want to win, your, win the argument and lose your brother. Yeah, you can win the argument. And there's bodies everywhere with blood flowing, but yeah, you won the argument. You want to win your brother as well as the argument. Okay. Why confront? And I wish I could find a better word than that. Because of the value of one wandering sheep. One wandering sheep. See, we need to confront people because God values each and every sheep, especially those that are straying away. Number two, I need to move a little faster and wrap this up. Number two, why do we confront? Because we have the hope of family reconciliation. We are a Christian family, not just people in this church, other Christian churches. We are a Christian family. What did the prodigal son do? The prodigal son said, Dad, I want my inheritance right now. I don't want to wait till you die. Give me my money. So Dad peels off the money and gives it to him. Son goes and lives a terrible life, burns through the money. Of course he's going to burn through the money. He, he wakes up one day and sees a bad shape he's in, and he said, hey, my dad's employees are treated better than I am right now. I'm going to go home and see if dad will just hire me as an employee. You know the story. Dad sees his son coming, and what did he do? When his son returned, he didn't say, you wasted my money. What a stupid thing you did. You know, all that's assumed. It's known. Everyone knows that. Why do we have to say it when we know it? What dad do? He threw a big party because his son's back. Next, why do we confront? Because a little sin leads to a lot of sin. We studied David and Bathsheba, and I told you in the middle of that study, I said David's sin has a lot of people on the move, and it did, because a little sin leads to a lot of sin. Neglected sin can infect an entire church. If you have a child and you say to the child, whether it's your 
niece or nephew, whoever it may be, go clean your room and I'll give you five bucks. The child doesn't clean the room and you say, well, here's five bucks anyway. What have you done? That child's going to grow up, going to be in a classroom someday, and teacher's going to say, do this. Child say, I'm going to do it. Well, pretty soon they'll be pulled over by a police officer, and that police officer's going to say, you're going to do it. And that child's going to be in front of a judge, and the judge is going to say, you're going to do it. But it'll be a lot worse than if we'd have made the child clean the room and teach some good principles. Next, why do we confront? Because it's a command. It's command of Jesus Christ. We are told to do it. A loving shepherd goes after lost sheep. So notice who's confronting whom here. We're talking brother to brother, sister to sister, Christian to Christian. We're not confronting the world here. Now, there's a time and place for that, but that's not what we're dealing with here. This is only dealing with believers. The exception is, as we wrap this up, the exception is public sin. Remember, the goal is to win back your brother or sister, not the argument. And we learn that confronting sin is serious business. We also learn that confronting sin is the loving thing to do. So today, there's a lot of people in the Christian community today that that would say, we don't care how people live, just love Jesus. Jesus cared enough to give us this formula. Well, just, just love Jesus. What happens is between them and the Lord. It's not what this passage teaches. Folks, that's not love. Would you knowingly let someone you love become a drug addict? You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. So why do we have the attitude that when we see a believer do, doing something that will destroy their life, we stand by and we do nothing? This is loving confrontation to restore relationships and win back a brother or sister. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for caring enough about us and realizing that we are sinners and we are going to find ourselves on both sides of this situation in, in the years to come. There'll be times when we are hurt, we are offended, we've been sinned against. There's going to be times when we sin and hurt someone else. So, Father, I pray that we'll have wisdom of your Spirit when we confront and have the wisdom of the Spirit when someone needs to confront us. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's see. What is our last song? Oh, how good it is. To find the words in your bulletin, please stand as we sing.